Okay, so as I said, first of eight Sundays today that we're going through the book of Ruth. And I want to encourage you, if even if you're familiar with the story, I want to encourage you to just read through the, 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 the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. I want to challenge you to read through it once a week um, until I go and leave. Okay, so you can break it up into seven nice neat readings if you if you like to read um, every day you might just choose four days of the week where you're like okay i'm going to read one chapter on these days monday chapter one tuesday chapter two and you might just do that that way you got a few days left for catch up if you if you need that you know and so um i want to challenge you to do that because i really believe that when we work together as a group and we come to the word of God together as a group and we look at something together, I feel like the Holy Spirit works in us together, you know, and that's a special thing we get to do corporately. Okay. And so I want to challenge you with that. It's going to be a much deeper experience. If we're coming at this book together um, and not just me, um, it's going to be better. And so I want to challenge you to do that. You can break up the book into eight scenes, which is really convenient that we've got eight um, Sundays to look at it. So that's, that's what we're going to do. The first scene is, called, is what we're calling the sojourn, okay? And we're calling it that because in the first five verses of chapter one, we read about a family who choose to live in another place for a little while, okay? And that's what you call a sojourn. When you go and live somewhere for a little while, it's a sojourn, okay? And um, it's a short stay. It's a short-term plan, okay? And what we see is that this family... Um, uh, their plans for a short sojourn in another country actually takes a bit of a tragic turn, right? We, many of us are knowing what I'm talking about. You're nodding your heads, right? They, they originally intended for it to be, you know, just, just, just for a little time, but actually tragedy comes and they end up staying for a long time, nearly, or a, about 10 years, right? And you wouldn't wish the experience on anyone that they had to go through, right? And today I want us to, I think it's important that we feel the weight of the suffering, okay, that they go through. This family, Naomi's family, she goes through suffering and, and, the, and we need to know just at the outset that the Bible doesn't ignore suffering, okay? We, it doesn't ignore tragedy. It doesn't ignore difficult situations, painful uh, situations and experiences. You could read through every book of the Bible, I reckon, I, don't know if I've actually tested this yet, but they're probably in every single one. Maybe Song of Solomon's not so much, right? But every single one, there is um, pain and there's tragedy and there's suffering. And it's very difficult um, to, to go through life without experiencing that, right? And so it's helpful for us to remember, hey, you know what? The Bible is not ignoring this fact. That's really important. So... Um, sometimes we feel like, uh, you know, God <laughs> is kind of just allowing us to suffer and he doesn't really think much about it. You know, we can get those feelings and the book of Ruth tells us actually it's, it's very far from the truth. Okay. He cares. His plans are still in place, even in the midst of suffering. And we see that in Jesus, right? Jesus death on the cross, his suffering on the cross. And that's the moment God just saves the whole world, you know? <laughs> and so... In our deepest suffering, in our deepest ex experience of pain and challenge, God's still at work, right? Very much like what Val shared with us today, even when we don't see it, God is still working, yeah? So, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, 
right? That's how it starts. In the days when the judges ruled, and um, you'll notice the book of Ruth comes straight after the book of Judges in your Bibles. And that's because, as I said, this is the setting of the narrative of Ruth. It's in a time when God's people are being ruled by the judges. And my reading kind of caught us up on here, but basically Joshua has led God's people out of the desert into the promised land, right? That's the book of Joshua. And, um, you know, they've seen God at work. They, they, this generation of, of, uh, of, of Joshua and, and his people, they, they saw the walls of Jericho fall. They saw God perform miracles, right, before them and, and overcome these giants in the land and all of this sort of thing going on. But as soon as Joshua and that generation dies, another generation grow up and somehow they didn't get those stories, right? And maybe they got the stories, but they didn't experience it for themselves. And I think that's a big prayer for, for our children and for the generations that come after us. Lord, would they experience you the way we've experienced you? Yeah, that's a prayer for us to pray. Um, because it doesn't seem to have happened here. They didn't know God as a miracle working God. And um, what actually happens is they get into this cycle in the book of Judges. And it's called the cycle of apostasy. And apostasy sounds like a scary word, but it just means rebellion. It means faithlessness, right? And so they go into this cycle and it looks like this. And you'll see it all through the, the book of um, Judges. They have a season where they're just turning away from God. They're not focused on him. They're worshiping other gods. They're practicing evil. And so God sends oppression sends other nations to come and attack them and, and brings judgment on them, maybe experience a little bit of famine, um, you know, making life difficult. And God is doing that so that they turn back to him and, and he uses someone within his people. He raises someone up and he says, hey, I need you to deliver my people. And so that person, the deliverer is a judge. He raises up a judge. And um, this is what the book of Judges is all about. He raises up a judge who goes and delivers them. Uh, he, he calls everyone to repentance. Um, you know, they often burn down the idols and, and uh, you know, just sort of do, uh, plan, plan on reforming God's people, right, in this time. And so he delivers them. And then for as long as the judge lives, as long as that judge is leading and continuing to call everyone to repentance, they experience peace and faithfulness, right? They experience um, good times. But when the judge dies, it's like same thing as when Joshua died, that they just forget. You know, they kind of just don't worry about it anymore. They go back to worshiping, um, you know, uh, other gods and practicing evil and the cycle starts again. Right, so that's the book of Judges. Pretty dark days for God's people, not what God intended. Okay, and so the story of Ruth, that's the place that we're set in. If you if you want to do more than just read the book of Ruth over the next eight weeks, read the book of Judges too. That'll give you a good good background to what we're looking at. So verse one, it's the time of the book of the Judges. Uh, sorry, yeah, it's the time of when the judges ruled in Israel. Also, there's a famine in the land. Right. And if you're a Hebrew reading about the land, you're thinking the promised land and that's what it is. OK. And it's interestingly, the promised land, as you know, it's supposed to be the land flowing with milk and honey. It's supposed to be the, the, the fertile land, good crops, 
You know, God's supposed to be uh, providing for his people through the land. It was their, it was their place. God was going to care for them and, and give for them. They were going to be able to farm their, their sheep and their cattle. And instead there's famine and drought. And so you're getting a picture that we're in one of those dark moments. You know, there's probably famine as part of God's judgment on, on God's people. And it's bad times. Okay. And this is where we're introduced to the family from Bethlehem. Okay. So the rest of verse one says, So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Okay. So where's Moab? Well, if this, if, if this TV is the Dead Sea, if you're looking at a map, and over here is the promised land, that's where, this is where Bethlehem is. This is where Elimelech and Naomi and their sons are. They go for a walk to live in Moab over here. They remove themselves from the promised land. They remove themselves from the land that God said, this is the place where I'll bless you. Okay? Pretty bad decision to make, even in famine and drought. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. If you're an Ephrathite, it was like you're a good, you're a good uh, person of Bethlehem. You know, you're like a true person of Bethlehem, maybe even a, a noble person of Bethlehem. Well, well noted in the, in the community. And they went to Moab and lived there. So, um... The old saying of like, the grass is, is always greener, you know, it doesn't really work out that way for Elimelech, does it? Elimelech seems to be making choices the way everyone did in the days of the judges. Things are going bad and they're just taking things into their own hands and they're just saying, oh, look, I think, I think this is the right thing for us to do. That's the, he, he makes a choice to leave the promised land and that's probably not a choice that God would have wanted him to make. The appropriate response, if there's famine in the place that God told you there wouldn't be famine, would be to call out to God, wouldn't it? If God said, hey, I'm going to give you a land, you've just entered into it only a generation or two down the track, and there's famine, you should be calling out to God. You should be starting a prayer meeting. Hey, God, you promised us there would be blessing, and now there's not. You know, we're thinking about moving. What should we do? <laughs> you know? It seems like, so, so Elimelech's name means my God is king, okay? And it seems like he's forgotten who his king is, right? In this terrible situation, fair enough. He's probably feeling the pressure. My, my got to provide for my family, but um, he's forgotten who his king is, okay? And so rather than calling out to his king and saying, you know, intervene in this situation, he packs his bags and goes to Moab, okay? And so I think this is where we can start to draw a little bit of application for our own lives. If you're feeling like you're in a season of famine where things are getting difficult or you're looking for a way out, right? I think um, the story of Ruth brings us to a point of realizing that, you know, the, you hear people say the grass is greener where you water it, right? That's kind of like the moral of the story, okay? If you're feeling like, gee, I just want out, that's actually um, not the first port of call, okay? We don't just start packing our bags and go to Moab when things are difficult. The first port of call should be, hold on a second, I'm, I'm a son of, of the king. 
let's go and see what he has to say about the situation I'm in. <laughs> you know, what does God want us to do about this? He might, he might say, go to Moab, but we shouldn't go there just thinking that's what he'll say. We should ask him first. He might have a different way of providing. And so the decision to leave the place or the circumstance that God has led you to isn't always the right decision. Now, I've certainly felt that I've experienced that in my life in different times, going to different places, doing ministry. The decision to leave, sometimes you should have just stayed. Sometimes you should have prayed to God. Sometimes you should have asked him, actually, um, you know, what do you want to do about this? You're my king. Let's, let's hear it. You know, give me the truth about my situation. And so I wonder about you, are you feeling a bit pressed and perplexed about life? You know, are you feeling desperate about a situation? Do you feel like there might be greener pastures somewhere else? Don't go anywhere. Don't pack your bags until um, you've, ha- you've taken the time to, uh, to ask God. And God might say, yeah, it's okay, you can leave. But we can't do that straight away. You know what I mean? We can't, we can't just assume that that's what God wants. Come to God in prayer, seek out the King, ask Him to provide for us. I'd like to be a church of people that, that does that first, seeks Him first when we're, when we're at a crossroads or we're in a difficult situation. Ask for God to tell us how we're going to get through the tough time. Okay, what we're going to read through the next uh, few verses, verses 3 to 5, is what many people call the emptying of Naomi. Sounds very sad, doesn't it? And it is sad. And next week we're gonna ret- we're gonna see her return to Bethlehem. Next week's scene is called the return, and she leaves Moab, um, and she comes back to Bethlehem, and 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 everyone sees her, and she says, "I went away, I went away full, but God has brought me back empty." Right? It's and we're, so that's just a little insight into what we're gonna see. But this is the emptying. Okay. Verse three. Now Elimelech. Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malin and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. So, it's pretty tragic, right? Tragic that Naomi's husband dies while they're in Moab, right? It was his choice to go there. They're there and then he dies. And normally a widow in a foreign country, you know, it's kind of like bad news. You don't want to hang out there too long. There's no protector, no provider for the family. Thankfully, her sons were obviously old enough to be able to work, protect and provide for mum. right? That's great. Then the two sons decide to marry Moabite women, which, um, you know, and, and one of these is Ruth. That's, that's, that's who the book is named after. And at this point, you get the feeling that their short-term trip their sojourn to Moab has kind of become a settling in Moab. You know, they've kind of, they've kind of uh, forgotten who they were, you know, and maybe they're, they're sort of just thinking, oh, well, we'll just stay here. You know, we, at least we've got some food or what, whatever it is. Marrying Moabites wasn't forbidden by God's law, but it was kind of a bit of a shaky decision. You know, the, the Moabites worshipped other gods. There was no guarantee they were going to keep you on track in your worship of the God of Israel. Any sort of, um, you know, Jewish person reading on here, they're, they're thinking, gee, um, 
Are they ever going to come back to the promised land? <laughs> you know, it, it looks like they're hanging around for a while. Are they worshipping other gods in Moab? Have they forgotten who they are? Right? Even Moabites weren't allowed to worship in the assembly of God's people, right? Unless they'd fully repented and become part of the community, right? A Moabite couldn't walk into, into Bethlehem or, or Jerusalem and just start worshiping God, right? They weren't allowed to. They were kind of excluded unless they'd said, no, actually, I, I want to be like you. I want to be part of this community. So reading this, it's like they're kind of in an awkward situation. It was a risky move to go there in the first place. Now Naomi's boys are marrying two Moabite women. Things are looking a bit interesting. Ten years goes by since the family first arrived in Moab, and now the two sons are both dead. Now they die. <laughs> you know, just like bad to worse. Tragic to really awful. She's a widow in a foreign land. She's... Uh, She's planned the funerals of her husband and her two sons. She's without a provider. She's without a protector. She's aging in a foreign land. Right? She has no hope of carrying on her family line. She has no social standing in Moab. She left Bethlehem feeling full, but now she's in Moab feeling empty. What's she going to do? We're going to see that next week. And at this point, I think it's helpful for us to remember Naomi isn't able to turn the page, right? She's not able to do what we get to do and keep reading and see the way God turns her life around. Naomi isn't able to know if Ruth or Orpah will return to Bethlehem, Bethlehem with her, right? You could imagine just at this moment, the funeral's happened, what's going through her mind? She doesn't know that God's going to make a way for her to get back to Bethlehem to be provided for, to be protected. She doesn't know that this Moabite girl, Ruth, who had married her son, was actually going to be, you know, one of five women in the genealogy of Jesus, right? She doesn't know that at that point. Life is looking pretty dim and awful, but she doesn't know all the good stuff that's ahead. She doesn't know that Ruth is going to marry a faithful and loyal man named Boaz. She doesn't know that their son Obed is the grandfather of King David, right? She doesn't know all this stuff at this point. We get the beauty of looking at it, um, you know, in retrospect. And I wonder how we feel about our lives. You know, I often think sometimes we just don't see what God's planning down the track through what we're in right now, you know? And I think as a church, like this time we've had to be out of our building and dealing with all the stuff going on, we don't get to see what God's doing a year from now or two years from now. But I think we can take a lot of hope from this story, right? Um, the, one of the overarching themes is that God redeems his people. You know, God redeems a bad situation. He takes a bad situation and he says, actually, there's good news at the end of this. There's hope in suffering. There's a resurrection after the death of Christ, you know? And so... Um, in this book of Ruth, we don't see God performing any miracles. <laughs> you know, He doesn't bring Elimelech or the two sons back to life. He, he allows the suffering to happen, but he still brings redemption. He still brings hope uh, through the bad times. And so, just as we sang today, even when we can't see it, God's, God's at work, isn't he? Yeah, do we believe that? Amen. <laughs> yeah, and so... Um, What's our response going to be? Okay, there's two, two.
two things I've thought of uh, as a response. I'm excited. Oh, Hannah's excited. That's good. You're allowed to be excited in church, you know? That's a good thing. Um, are you in a situation where you feel like packing your bags? You know, are you, are you feeling like, man, this is hard. I can see some greener pastures down, down across the Jordan River over at Moab. You know, maybe we should just pack up and go there. The first thing to do is to pray, right? That's the first response to make is actually, let's pray. I'm not going to just up and leave for, uh, without checking with the king. You know, that's the right decision to make. Do we see God as our king? Because Elimelech didn't, even though that's what his name meant. Let's not take our lives into our own hands, okay? (laughs) Let's give our lives to Jesus. What does he want? What does the king want for us? So maybe that's a way for you to respond today. The second thing is, do you feel emptied? (laughs) Do you feel a bit empty like Naomi was feeling? And you can't see the, the refilling that God has planned after you're emptying okay i feel like actually we probably go through seasons of filling and emptying good times bad times joy times of joy times of suffering um you know times where we're just thinking man things are just so good things couldn't get better right now in life and then times of like man i don't even know what's going on you know and i think um the bible's teaching us now's the time to trust if we feel empty you know Now's the time to go back to Bethlehem. <laughs> okay, that's going to be next week. Go back to Bethlehem. Return to where, to where God is. You know, turn to Him. And it's actually not too late. You know, it's actually okay to go back even after you feel empty, even after you feel like, man, everything's just been messed up. We can go back. There'll be times of change. God will be there. He's got people there who are going to be part of your plan of uh, rest- restoration and, and being restored. Jesus knows the pain of suffering. The Bible doesn't ignore it. You know, we shouldn't feel like we have to ignore it either, but just stay hopeful. <laughs> you know, there's a message of hope in, in, the, in the Bible, even through suffering. So that's the two, two ways of response that I have. Um, if you want to pray with me now, pray in response to what we've heard. Yeah, pray If you're feeling like, you know, I just want to get out of here, first thing to do is pray. If you're feeling empty, first thing to do is turn back to God and say, God, take my emptiness, change it for for your glory. So let's pray together. Lord, um, we just thank you for this story. And it's it's, it's pretty sad so far. But um, we, we can just see that there's hope at the end of this. And Lord, I pray that there, that we would get a sense of that for our own lives. That even when things are tough, even when we feel like it'd be better to be somewhere else, even when we feel like, um, you know, it doesn't seem like you're, you're doing anything or you're even caring about where we're at. Um, Lord, we want to we wanna stop and we would just want to say, before we pack our bags and go to Moab, before we pack our bags and, and, and just take our life into our own hands, we're going to come to you and say, God, we need you. You're our king. You're the one who needs to lead and guide us. Tell us the next step to take. You know, maybe we should wait and wait for you to provide rather than to flee the famine. What could be learnt through, uh, through staying when it, when it feels like a time of famine, God? What could be learnt in that space?
Would you teach us about it? Would you would you help us to to be uh, you know not just faithful but hopeful, God? You know, not just people who will put up with going through a tough time, um, and and uh, and just keep returning even though it's tough, but but people who who maybe on the other side of the coin of that coin are are hopeful that something's going to change, hopeful that there's going to be um, you know restoration and redemption. Lord, teach us about that, God. We pray, and um, and Lord, some of us here probably feeling a bit empty, spiritually empty in relationships, empty in 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 work, empty in uh, you know the uh, just a lack of purpose, whatever it is, God. Um, you know, feelings of loss, grief, however it goes, God. We just wanna we just wanna pray that you'd you'd fill us up, and that we'd remain hopeful of of a refilling. Even when we can't see it now, even when we feel so dry, and so um, yeah, Lord, I just wanna I just wanna thank you for that. Thank you that you're um, you're here with us, and uh, pray that this would go with us as in in the coming weeks. Amen. Amen.